2: Hello and welcome to the Game Day International Post-Match Podcast from Talk Sport with me, Sam Matterface, former England striker, Andy Cole, and Alex Crook. Coming up England mount a comeback to beat the best team in the world, but were they lucky against Belgium? We're all right, Jack. Grealish left on the bench and social media goes into meltdown, but was Southgate right to leave him out? Also, does Project Big Picture mean a little future for everyone outside the top six? And will England further their Nations League cause against the Danes? All on the podcast that, like Grealish, is incapable of pulling its socks up. The Game Day Post-Match Pod from TalkSport.
1: This is Game Day.
2: Welcome to the game day international post-match pod with me Sam Matterface and Andy Cole the former England striker and talk sport transfer guru Alex Crook uh, very good evening to you both I've just literally walked across the road from Wembley it was only like 20 30 minutes ago I was in my seat uh, watching England beat the world's best nation uh, for those of you who uh, don't know what happened England went behind very early in the game they actually started quite brightly dominated possession then with their first real attack uh, Belgium had a disallowed goal they then scored a penalty after a ridiculous Derek Dyer challenge, only for England to get a penalty for what was the softest penalty I've seen. Uh, and one of the things that I know, Crook, you wanted to mention was uh, about a penalties. Uh, because not only there was, there seems to be so many of them and how soft they are but also the fact that no one ever misses them anymore because there's no crowd and then England won it in the last 10-15 uh, minutes with a goal from Mason Mann which took a heavy deflection second half performance much better than the first from England where at times they looked a little bit uh, timid again which they have done when they've played that back three and it hasn't really connected up through midfield right the way through to the attack um, obviously gentlemen we're going to go through a quick dissection but Crook, do you just want to make your point on penalties right at the very top?
1: Yeah, um, I was watching um, with a colleague from Talk Sport as Rashford stepped up and I said, well, he'll score this because nobody misses penalties anymore. And he said, oh, don't jinx him. But they don't. And um, I, I know Andy wasn't uh, particularly keen on taking penalties. Was there only one in your Premier League career? Yeah, it's too far out for him, right. I said. <laughs> but surely uh, without honest. that venomous crowd behind the goal, it's effectively a, a training ground scenario. You put the ball down from 12 yards and nine times out of ten, you're going to find the back of the net. We're seeing very few missed penalties now, and I think that's a big byproduct of playing behind closed doors. And did you agree with that? And, and, and did you really not take it because it was too far out for you?
3: No, I, I, I keep saying I get asked this all the time, and I, I take a lot of flak about not taking penalties. Really? I said, you know, yeah, I have done. Yeah, a lot of the boys that,
2: give me flak. Is that because if you did take penalties, you'd be well over the hills and far away from Shearer's record?
3: Well, that's what everyone seems to think but I turned around and I said look I, I didn't take him because I genuinely believe that if I'm going to play as a centre forward I have to get myself in the right position to score goals and if I can't do it this is my thoughts I'm not trying to have a guy at anybody else this is just the way I thought if I couldn't do it in open play I wasn't as good as I believed I was
2: yeah so the record should only be counted if you take the penalties away
3: I'm not saying that at all either. <laughs> but <I'm> saying for, <laughs> we, we're, we're saying personally. it. We're yeah. saying
1: it. <laughs> so so we're effectively doing this podcast with the record Premier League goalscorer, is that what we're saying? <laughs> yeah, that's what we're saying. That's what we're saying.
2: Right, let's get to the England
1: highlights. So
4: head-to-head with top-ranked Belgium defeating the Nations League final will be all but out of the three-lines grasp But victory. And that feel-good factor will start to snowball again in the first significant test of a tournament season. Bursting run from Rommel Lukaku goes down. What's the referee's decision there? Play on. It was Dyer that came across, and now he's given the penalty. England haven't conceded a goal for 561 minutes, but it's Lukaku against Pickford, and they have now. The referee is seeing some pulling and shoving going on inside the box. I think it's out of Varel that he's booked. And it's a penalty for England and a chance to get back on level terms. Runs up, stops his run, right-footed, brilliant penalty. It's Mignolet dived to his left-hand side. Rashford just waited for that initial movement from the keeper. Fired it into the open half of the goal. Stripian nodding it down, it's a good header as well. Mason Mount out of Varel, defending Mount with a looping, lobbing effort. The second deflection has spooned over Mignolet and have turned it around, the lead 2-1. Thielmus for De Bruyne, good run for from Carrasco, and it's wide. That was close. The halfway stage of the Nations League campaign, England sit top of the group, they've beaten the side-ranked number one in the world.
2: Well, in the end, England ended up beating Belgium by two goals to one. And it's got to be seen as a triumph, hasn't it? Because Gareth Southgate has come under a bit of criticism, especially in big games against big nations and not changing the game, etc, etc. England much better second half than they were first. And ultimately, Andy Cole, you know what it's like to put on that England shirt. But to beat the world's best nation right now, that's got to be seen as an achievement, right?
3: Yeah, he has got to be, especially after their second half performance. I thought England played really well in second half. Uh, first half, for 15 minutes, England played well. And then after that, uh, Belgium dominated and could have been out of sight. But um, England stuck with them. And like I said, second half played really well and deserved the win.
2: Um, who stood out for you in terms of performance-wise?
3: Uh, I, I think second half, Mount. I thought Rashford looked like the old Rashford. You know, I think the midfield areas, to got it together, uh, push further on. And closed Belgium down. So, I, I I think Mount and Rashford did really well for me. Back four weren't really tested second off, and you know Walker Walker's very good at using his pace, and he did that the second off a few times as well.
2: Yeah, a, a lot of people sort of raised their eyebrows, didn't they, when Carl Walker was uh, selected, Crook? Um, but um, ultimately, did a good
3: job, didn't they? Again, yeah. <laughs>
1: I wasn't impressed with the team when it came out. Um, what, I articulated that on Darren Bent's boot room. I articulated that to you privately, Sam. Um, <laughs> what did I tell you Ka- about Carl Walker? What did I say was going to happen? And you, And you were right. Carl Walker surprised me. I think it was a leap of faith in some ways from Gareth Southgate after what happened to him against Iceland, but he justified his selection. Eric Dyer maybe less so. I mean you won't see too many worse tackles than that over the course of the season it was the, the most blatant penalty you'll ever see but I agree with Andy uh, Mason Mount stepped it up in the second half he pressed high he obviously scored a, a deflected goal and Marcus Rashford has been struggling for form for club and country since that back injury, but that was more like the Marcus Rashford that we that we know and love. And, and what a fantastic week for him! Gets the MBE, scores a penalty, and and plays a big part in England beating the best team in the world. Um, I got
2: a few of the uh, five word match reports that I put out on Twitter straight after the end of the game. Uh, this is from uh, BWD. Uh, who says, getting better, wait for next year. Danny P said, Declan Rice played very well. And actually, Andy, that's worth pointing out as well, isn't it? Because I thought that Declan Rice in that sort of midfield holding position, especially as the game went on, grew into the match.
3: Yeah, I I thought it did. I I thought, first half, he really struggled. You know, when you've got the quality of De Bruyne in there, he'll run rings around most players. I thought he struggled first half. You know, the back four pushed out, the mid four pushed out, and mid closed Belgium down. So that, that was a little bit, and Decon Rice uh, come into it in
2: the second half. Uh, some people aren't happy though, are they? I mean, a lot of people were sort of causing problems with the, or had problems with the uh, team selection in the first place. Where was Grealish? Where was Conor Cody? Uh, there's zero creativity in the team. In fact, Dean Began says that as his five-word match report, zero creativity, paper over cracks. Uh, Conor Cody should have started, says Graham Palmer. But ultimately, um. Cody and Grealish didn't play because they've only just come into the team and this is a three-game match week. They'll probably play against mm-hmm. Denmark. He wasn't going to just thrust them straight into the side, was he, Andy?
3: Uh, I think he had the opportunity to do it if he if he wanted to. Uh, like I said yesterday on the show, you know, for me personally, Conor Cody could play. I think he's in very good form for Wolves. He played the last game for England, played very well against Wales. Uh, so I wouldn't have been surprised if he played today just like Grealish. I mean, I know he picked picked Mount in front of Grealish today, but I would not be surprised if Grealish played, because the way he played against Wales the other night, me sitting there, I'd say, yeah, go on then. I'd I'd play play him against Belgium, because when we talk about that creativity, and I said on the show yesterday, he has that little bit of magic whereby he can open up that door when it's needed.
2: The argument will be from Gareth Southgate that he hasn't played as many high-caliber games in terms of European opposition as Mason Mount and that's why he included him crook and I suppose when he looks back at the game it's vindicated, isn't it, that he chose to put Mount in?
1: Yeah, we also know that Gareth Southgate likes the the team ethos as opposed to one particular star and I do wonder uh, if the comparisons to Paul Gascoigne that have been levelled at Jack Grealish in some quarters this week almost worked against him and and maybe that was Gareth Southgate's way of keeping him grounded and bringing him back down to earth. You say that but if that was the case, why did
2: he hand him the number 19 shirt today? I couldn't get my head around that. I thought, for a guy who's trying to dampen down the expectations and comparisons between Jack Grealish and Gaza, why has he allowed him to wear the 19, which is the iconic number that Gaza wore in the 1990 World Cup? Surely
1: that was just an oversight, wasn't it? <laughs> it must have been, because it, all it, the first thing that happened as soon as I saw the team sheet come out, I went, oh, he's
2: got Gaza's number.
1: Well, that's that's why you were at the top of your game, Sam, because I didn't necessarily make that connection. And I don't think Andy did either.
3: Nah, nah, I don't even know what number it is. I just realised he
2: wasn't playing, so that was me. Yeah, a a Thursday flourish and a Sunday rest for uh, Jack Grealish. You may well see him against Denmark. Um, Okay, so let's talk about Belgium then, because everybody thinks they're the best nation in the world. They've got this great crop of players. I was looking at the ages of some of those players, though, and they're coming towards the latter stages, the twilight of their career. I mean, a lot of them have got over 100 caps. A lot of them have got more than than that. Um, And Roberto Martinez has been in charge for quite some while, I think he'll be disappointed that his uh, team played the way they did especially in the second half where they created very little I think England deserve credit for, for stopping them create but I don't know if I was a Belgian fan I think I'd be more disappointed than if I'm an England
1: fan I do wonder if they're going to be the latest nation to underachieve because we had the the great Portuguese side, the likes of uh, Luis Figo and Rui Costa that never quite translated their obvious talents to a a major tournament. Obviously, England with the likes of uh, Beckham and Lampard and Gerrard and and, and Scholes. Maybe this is the latest golden generation that won't quite go on to achieve what we think because you're right, it's an ageing squad now obviously they were missing several key players tonight but would you put your money on them to win the European Championships with any real conviction? I'm not sure I would Andy obviously is uh, is shaking his head He often does it you
3: <laughs> <laughs> Belgium are, are a very good team I think we know that and appreciate that and when we talk about a golden generation you can't be cast as a golden generation if you've not won anything you know the, the teams you touched on there Portugal England now Belgium we're at right now do they have a chance to win the Euros in the summer? Oh, of course they do. You know, I think they've shown their quality throughout how many years now. You know, but if you look at some of the other teams vying for that championship come the summer, you know, France looking very strong. But you just never know what can happen come the summer with these kind of, kind of teams, you know, because they've got so much quality.
2: Uh, more five-word match reports: England win an overhyped friendly. Uh, JD says, why does Southgate hate Grealish? (laughs) I don't think he does. I just think, again, it's a three-game match week. Uh, But it's fascinating to hear what people think about it how, how do you win people over in a, in circumstances like this when you're playing games three games in a week I mean I spoke to Gareth Southgate last week and he said well, if you had seen what I had to deal with in terms of the players fitness levels and uh, abilities when they came back after their very short summer break some of them came almost straight off the beach and onto the playing field against Iceland I think Declan Rice had one training session before that game against Arsenal. He said, I knew it was going to be a nightmare. I knew we were going to be judged that we weren't at full speed. He goes, but we haven't seen these players for 10 months. Do you, do you factor in all the COVID conundrums into, into into today's performance as well, Andy?
3: I would factor in, of course I would, but I'm not everyone's not going to factor in. Um, professional footballers are not robots. And yeah, of course they need the break in the summer all being well could only been two weeks so there's no way they're going to hit the ground running you know now it's going to take a little bit of time and I've mentioned in, in previous interviews that I've done don't be surprised if quite a few the players suffer a little bit of burnout come Christmas you know it's been it's been a continuous season whereby they're not being able to get too much rest but on the flip side of that the, the, the chap who mentioned uh, he hates Grealish you know the only way you're going to get experience against these kind of teams is if you give these guys the opportunity to play in games like tonight you know, so it would have been a great opportunity for Gareth to give him an opportunity you know, and see how he got on if he's thinking that Mason Mount is playing Champions League football or other European football
1: Two points uh, when it comes to Jack Grealish we had a uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers fan uh, ring the boot room on Sunday afternoon and suggest that maybe Gareth Southgate has a problem with Aston Villa I'm not convinced by that I do think he has a problem with Jack Grealish, perhaps in terms of his personality and his maverick playing style. And we talked about this in midweek with Darren Lewis. I think he would probably be a very difficult player to coach. And maybe at the moment, Gareth Southgate still doesn't trust him on the biggest stage to be disciplined that he needs him to be. And and that was a disciplined performance against Belgium. But the other point, Andy, if, if you were Jack Grealish, and I know it was a frustration for you that perhaps you didn't get the number of England caps that you deserved. If you played as well as he did in midweek, would you have expected to be in the starting lineup
3: this afternoon? I mean, you, you mentioned me. Yeah, I, I was disappointed at the time because ultimately, if, you, if you're playing well for your respective club, yeah, when you go away with England, you want to feel that you've got the opportunity to play against whatever nation it is. Now, you played against Wales, you played extremely well, uh, man of the match. You've got to go in there with a the mindset saying... I've got half a chance, by the way. I mean, I thought I played well, I've got half a chance. Playing against Belgium, a lot better team than Wales, well, not being disrespectful. So when you do get left out and you're left out and you play Mason Mount and then all the noise what's has been made about possibly Gareth not getting on with him or he's, he's difficult to coach, we're all difficult to coach. I mean, because everyone's got an ego and some want to do things a different way. But when you have that maverick in your team, Ultimately, you've got to make a space for that Maverick because he could be your game winner. And I've, I've played with Maverick. I've played with Eric Cantona. You know, that's possibly one of the biggest Mavericks you're ever going to have in the English game. The manager used to manage him totally different to the way he used to manage us. But come Saturday, Wednesday, whenever it is, he will produce that magic. You turn and say, I can see why.
2: I don't think he's fallen out with Jack Grealish I don't think he's got a problem with Jack Grealish I think actually the opposite has happened in the last few weeks I think ultimately before the last international break and he called him into the squad because of the injuries that they had and the the positive COVID test that they had um, it it wasn't really on his radar it was sort of like on the fringes of his thoughts but Jack's won him over I think the conversations between the two especially over the last few weeks have have certainly increased Southgate's uh, thinking in terms of can I include this guy or not that's why he started him in the game against Wales. I think the issue is, is as Crook said earlier, actually might not be ready yet to trust him at the highest level when they're playing a big team like Belgium and they need a really disciplined performance. Jack Grealish can, can do that. If you saw him in, on the game against Wales, at one point he was defending in the right fullback area.
3: Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying Gareth likes him or whatever, you know, uh, but I look at it this way. The original squad, in which he wasn't selected for, I was scratching my head saying, oh, Dad, why was he not selected for the original squad? Because he should have been. His form for Aston Villa, he yeah, was down the bottom, the last season, but his form alone, most people kept him in the division, you know? And he's, he must be thinking to himself, well, what do I have to do? He gets in, like you said, via COVID and injuries and that. And since he's got in, he has been really, really good, especially the performance he put on him, uh, against Wales.
1: I just want to go back to the point that Andy made about Alex Ferguson's handling of Eric Cantona is, is, is that is that the art of a, a, a truly world class manager knowing how to manage specific individuals and presumably not alienating the rest of the squad because if he was managing Eric Cantona differently there was a danger that the rest of you players might have had your noses put out of joint
3: you see, uh, the, the, the way I look at things like that if I have a maverick in my team that I'm playing with yeah, and the manager wants to t- treat him totally different to how he treats everybody else I'm not fussed, because I know that individual come whenever day we need him, he will turn up. And sometimes in top teams, national teams or club teams, you're going to have those individuals. And managers have to manage everyone in totally different ways.
2: Are we getting a little bit carried away, though, comparing uh, Grealish to first Gaza and now Eric Cantona? I mean, does he have that sort of level of impact on an England national no, game? Let's
3: be honest. No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying he, he does. But what I am saying is that I've watched him numerous times, like we all have. He's got something. He yeah. has definitely got something oh, which he's is different. a joy different. to watch, isn't he? Yeah. You know, so we, we, I'm not saying he's as good, nowhere near as good as Gaza. I'm not saying he's in Eric Cantona's class. Yeah, but what I am saying, if you look at him week in week out for what he does for Aston Villa and what he did the other day for England against Wales, he definitely has something different than every other English midfield
2: player in that position I, I think actually the biggest absentee tonight really was uh, Connor Cody that that sort of surprised me more than anything else because I thought his leadership mm. qualities at the back against Wales were brilliant I don't think that position is as demanding in terms of fitness so he could have played twice in three four days whatever it is um, and also I don't think Eric Dyer is particularly suited to playing in that middle of the three and I think we saw that for, for the challenge on uh, uh, Lukaku which I'm still trying to work out what he was trying to do with that I mean what was he tackling? Did he see a, a blade of grass that he thought I'd try and go for? I, did, I couldn't work that out because he just seemed to dive in into an area where the ball wasn't even there.
1: He still tried to protest his innocence as well, didn't he? After the ball went behind, it wasn't a foul. Um, I, I agree, and I think Eric Dyer actually is, is probably still getting used to being a central defender again because, of course, he was used as a defensive midfielder for the past couple of seasons. What do we make of Harry Maguire's performance tonight? Because he hasn't been in great form for Manchester United so far this season. Yeah. Will
3: he take confidence from how he performed? Oh, I believe so. Um, he got on with his job. He did what he had to do. He wasn't really tested in the second half. First half, I thought, no, the back three was tested, Mm. you know? And like I said, Belgium could have run away with it 2-0 down. The disallowed goal, I'm I'm still scratching my head regarding why that was disallowed. All right, okay, so I've seen the
2: replay as to why that was disallowed now. Um, And basically, first of all, I thought that the original passage of play where the ball goes down the right-hand side the linesman flagged for offside there but he flagged about four days after the event and finished in fact they were celebrating That's right. they changed the the score bug to 1-0 and then he, he raised his flag and I was like what the hell is going on he was a bit slow that linesman but once we've seen the replay from the 18 yard line you actually see that what the the reason it's been disallowed is because Castagna is in an offside position when the ball is shot by um, Carrasco and he's standing in the eye line of Jordan Pickford, therefore interfering yep. with play. Okay. So that's why it was it was ruled out. But it did take us a little while to unpick that. Andy yeah. Cole would a claimed that.
3: <laughs> You've got, you got to try and claim anything. You know, it's, it's international football, you Don't, it's, you, it's you, like you're football. You're talking to Alex Crook. He claims everything. And <laughs> yeah, This if, is true. If, if this is true.
2: If, one or, if me or you make a good point today, he'll be on breakfast tomorrow morning saying, I think blah, 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 and then claiming it as his own. Don't you worry about true. that.
1: That's his modus operandi. Was it a triumph for Gareth Southgate in some ways tonight as well? Because I wasn't the only one to deride the team selection. But also, is this the first time in his England career that they've been up against the ropes at half-time and he's managed to do something in those 15 minutes that have turned the game in England's favour against truly world-class opponents? Yeah,
2: I think so. I think,
1: you know, a lot of criticism
2: yeah. is levelled against him for when they come up against the very best, not scoring goals, not even scoring goals from open play. They never score a goal against a, a good team from open play. They rely on penalties so often. If you go back through the history, I was doing it earlier, actually, you know, scrubbing it off. If you take the, uh, the, the Spain and Croatia crazy games in the last Nations League out of it, you've got to go back to before the start of the last World Cup before they scored a goal from open play against a top nation in a top game it's lots of nil-nils and one-nils and whatever but tonight they did create something and they created something when they moved the ball quicker and that's the key thing isn't it Move the ball quicker and it unsettles teams
3: it it certainly does but I've got a lot of time for Gareth I I think anyone who takes the England job yeah first and foremost needs a head testing (laughs) yeah You know, because everyone has this perception that you get the England job and you're going to take over and England are going to win the World Cup, they're going to win the Euros, they're going to dominate for how many years. It, no, it's, it's, that's not going to happen. Yeah, we do have some really good good players, but we have to marry it together and realise that other nations and other countries have very good players as well. But I think since he's taken the job, he's gone in, he's tried to bring in other players, he's tried to change the system, he's seen bringing youth, and he's trying to marry it together. Yeah, at times England have not been very creative, but he perseveres in what he's trying to do, which is a great, great positive in my eyes.
2: Uh, crook. Do you think that actually one of the reasons why there was such a backlash before the game and why even after the game there's still a little bit of the old oh, it wasn't that great, they were lucky is because actually he's been the manager now for four years and people are just getting a little bit bored really I mean they're seeing quite a few of the same I mean I think people's suggestion is they're seeing a lot of the same old faces I mean he has given 40 different players their debut so we can't be
1: accused of not including a wider pool of players Yeah, but I also think maybe that the football is less dynamic now than when he first got the job because I think he's trying to to plan for the future and he's trying to plot his way towards winning a major tournament. I I think... um, And
2: he's realised that actually the defenders aren't at a top level, so he's got to deploy three of them.
1: Yeah, so he has to offer protection, not just in the back three, but also sitting two in front of them. The acid test is still to come. You know that I think he probably got too much praise for what happened at the World Cup because ultimately they didn't really play anybody and when they did he was found wanting against Croatia this is his tournament coming up the European Championships next summer on home soil uh, with a very talented group of young players it, it's sink or swim time that they have to for me at least get to the semi-final I think they have to be one of the favourites to try and win the trophy anything less than that and I think he could be in trouble
3: I love it I, that, that's, that's a very big statement that
2: He's not I like a big statement. He's not afraid of those, is it?
3: God, dear. I I we watched France the other night. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm looking at France and I'm saying to myself, "Wow."
4: Well,
2: you and I wow, they're you watched, watched, your tip. Uh, Andy and I watched the uh, the Ukraine game, didn't we? And the, some of the goals that they scored in, I mean, okay, they were playing wow. Ukraine, but some of the goals they scored were were unbelievable.
3: So, when when we're talking about going to win the Euros come the summer, you're disregarding a lot of other teams with great strengths i.e. France Germany Germany are always going to be there about thereabouts you know uh, Germany are rebuilding now, in lots of ways you know what we can say that about Germany all we like yeah come to a major tournament where does Germany usually get to semi-finals
2: I remember when they were rebuilding after we smashed them to 5-1 in uh, Munich in wow. 2001 the next year they got to the World Cup final
1: <laughs> but, but it's that home advantage as well isn't it I mean we saw what a difference that made at uh, Euro 96 you, you've got to take that into account massively
2: yeah but it's probably going to be in Germany let's be honest about it I, I doubt it's going to be all over the globe again like
1: everyone's planning for this is your conspiracy theory that, that is you know we'll we, 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 we'll we'll visit that at a later date yeah
3: I I, I don't think he will make much of an advantage. I I, I really don't. Yeah, naturally, of course, if a lot of games are based in England, the country's definitely going to get behind England 100%. But with that comes a hell of a lot of pressure as well, as per normal.
2: Okay, we've been recording this podcast for probably about 20, 25 minutes now. Um, Is there uh, anyone who's going to be actually positive about the
1: fact that we've beaten the world's best nation? Well, all I would say, I don't think it did us um, any harm that a lot of people turned their nose up at the team sheet. A lot of people were saying, oh, we got no chance. He's picked the wrong players. Because I think what they showed tonight, and Mason Mount maybe is a prime example because he knew that most people wanted Jack Grealish in the team ahead of him. They stuck two fingers up to, to the country tonight and said, actually, we're going to go out and prove you wrong. We're going to go and beat this Belgian side. And, and they did that. So, so maybe we're actually approaching this current England crop from the correct Perspective, because we're not calling them the golden generation. Most people, other than me, aren't expecting them to win major trophies. And, and maybe they might just surprise a few.
3: For me personally, ultimately, all, all I look at England is every year, year in and year out, they have to progress, have to progress. At some stage, you'd like to believe that England will go on to win a major tournament, of course, because they have more than enough talent. But it's marrying all that talent together at the right time so they can go on and win a major tournament. I think it'd be too much for England to win it this summer. You know, have to move on from there. But to win major tournaments are not easy, i.e. in Belgium's case, a lot of the players have come to the end of their uh, international careers and they might be saying, right, this is our time.
2: Um, I, 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 I don't think we did touch, or if we did touch it, we probably didn't do it justice. Is Roberto Martinez a very lucky manager that he's got all these great resources to use? Or yes. is he just a very good manager who's got the, the best yeah, out of I've-
3: them. Yeah, yeah I, I, look, I've got nothing against him, though. I've got nothing against anyone to be fair. But I, I think to, to take over that crop of players he's had, a good manager, which he was a good club manager, to go in there and to tick them over, to get them in shape for a major tournament, I think nine out of ten people could do that because he's got so much quality with these guys. Previously Wilmot did it before he, he lost his job, you know, he didn't win a major tournament, that's why he lost his job. You know, Martinez is in the same position. He's got to go on to win a tournament to say, right, I've taken this generation and have gone on to win something.
2: Yeah, those, those chances are running out, aren't they? OK, we're going to talk about uh, England's next game, which is against Denmark, in just a minute. Um, we'll just do a quick preview of that. But first of all, a big story broken by The Telegraph on Sunday by Sam Wallace. Very nice man, Sam Wallace. We like him. Um, he, he, not very often when you see this on the front page of a sports supplement or uh, on, on a little tweet world exclusive is actually a world exclusive but this is a proper world exclusive isn't it and and, and the, the project big picture which has sort of come out over the last 24 hours which is Manchester United and Liverpool driving this big shake-up of English football ha- has caused a lot of consternation the Premier League was straight out with a statement saying that um, they were disappointed by it they were even more disappointed that I think Rick Parry had gone on the record and made some comments positively about it as well, just explain to us the background behind it, Crook, because I know that you covered this story on uh, Darren Bent's boot room on Sunday afternoon.
1: Yeah, Sam, very kindly uh, came on the program to explain exactly what it means. It, it's a very in-depth proposal, but I think the big talking points from it are that they want an 18-team Premier League um, from three years' time, I believe, and 24 teams in each of the EFL divisions: the Championship, League One, and League Two. In return, they would give the EFL 250 million pounds to split amongst their members immediately. So, of course, that's going to be a massive help when you look at the uh, economic effects that the pandemic is having on clubs outside the Premier League at the moment. But they're not going to give something for nothing. What they would like um, is to scrap the, uh, the the way the voting is done at the moment. Is that you need 14 clubs to agree to a specific proposal that would go out the window. You would only need six clubs to get any kind of new resolution passed in the Premier League. Now, let's put two and two together. The driving force behind this is the big six, the two Manchester clubs, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham and Liverpool, plus three invited guests, the three longest-serving members of the uh, the Premier League, Southampton and Everton and West Ham, I believe, are the, are the three other clubs. Yeah. What they're trying to do is take control of the Premier League. And I think this is... a. Basically, it's um, wide, isn't it? It's taking control of English football, really, isn't it? it, Yeah, and 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 Sam called it ambitious. (laughs) I would use a different word. I would call it sinister. Because basically, I think this is the first step towards a European Super League that has been touted for a long time. And as you say, it's going to be the richest clubs in the land basically owning uh, the rest of the football pyramid. And the only reason that Rick Parry and the EFL are even contemplating agreeing to this is because so many clubs are in such dire straits. They're taking advantage of the pandemic and, and almost blackmailing them into agreeing to these proposals. I'm dead against it. I think the majority of right-minded football fans would be dead against it. And I think even the Premier League are against it. When you look at their statement, they're pretty clear where the leak came from. They're directing it at Rick Perry, no question.
2: Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that that is the case because you would think... And if I am understanding it right, by the way, I looked at the proposals that the top two still get promoted, but then there's less teams in the playoff, isn't there? Because they're going to they want a playoff, playoff between, between the, the third, third the between the championship team, yeah. and the two third teams relegated and team. Yeah, yeah. So so, so, so there's one less place in the in the playoffs for the for the EFL Championship teams. Um, that th- that wouldn't be um, acceptable to them in any other circumstances. Certainly, wouldn't be acceptable that there was 18 teams in the Premier League because their dream is to, is obviously to get into that league. So it really is a bit of bribery taking advantage of what is a real difficult situation for EFL Cubs at the moment. And with other proposals, the Carabao Cup being knocked on the head and the Community Shield being knocked on the head. Um, it does seem to me that they've just got this eye on the 24-25 season when I think the Champions League will be restructured and there'll be more games in that competition um, and, they, and they want to make space for it too.
3: Yeah, it's he's, he's very much looking that way. Uh, it'd be very interesting to see if it does get sanctioned. Uh, if it does get sanctioned, there'll be a hell of a lot of disappointed people. Uh, financially, you know, no doubts it would disappoint a lot of people. But on the flip side of that, there's going to be a lot of people a lot happier if it does go down that road.
2: I suppose it's sort of almost a bit like the Premier League being quite opportunistic in that they're looking at the situation that the uh, EFL clubs find themselves in and thinking well do you know what if we're going to strike now's the right time to do
1: it when they're really desperate it's not a particularly attractive look is it? I I do wonder if the only reason that Rick Parry is is driving it is because he knows the EFL is in a bit of a mess at the moment and I don't think Mm. they've handled the pandemic particularly well uh, if you compare what they've done to what the Premier League have implemented. But this European Super League has has been talked about for a long time. I I remember when Andy was at the peak of his powers for Manchester United, they were talking about a a, a big breakaway league involving Juventus and Real Madrid and and, and, and Barcelona. I'm sure that is... that, that is the main thing on the minds of those big six clubs. I guess the question would be, and I didn't ask Sam Wallace, how does this actually come into being? Because at the moment, for any new proposal, they still need 14 votes. So do the rest of the Premier League have to give their, their backing for this even to get off the ground. Yeah, well, I suppose they have to. I mean, the
2: the, the thing about the European Super League never makes sense to me because one of the reasons why the Premier League is such a vibrant league is because of the competition between teams. You're not expected uh, to compete with those at the very top. And one of the things that drives that is the fan culture. The fan culture is amazing in English football. We have people that travel from uh, Penzance up and to to Newcastle to watch their team. No one's going to be travelling. 2,300 Liverpool fans are not going to travel from uh, Anfield to Juventus every week are they or off to, to Kazakhstan wherever it is I don't know where they're going to end up playing they could play it anywhere but a, a Milan versus Manchester uh, regular fixture is, is not really something that football's traditions allow for the, the, one of the things that we love about the romantic nature of Real Madrid coming to town is the fact that it's a very rare experience Andy yeah it's, it's not for me
3: I'm sitting there listening to you, it's not really viable as well you know if, if you look at the expense of that you know you turn and say how, how are punters if it come to that stage how are punters actually going to afford all this you know we we, we have to we keep talking about Probably football be now we watch the football now with
2: last week's game yeah. anything to yeah. go we by we watch it now
3: <laughs> with no punters and we're all disappointed we can't see any fans in the ground I want to go to football matches now you know to be fair I'm, I'm sick of watching it on TV because I actually want to be there so You know, I I would be very disappointed if it happened, but that that seems to be the way football is moving. You know, it's all about finances, finances, finances.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part?
3: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18, plus. be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. It's Dominic Calvert-Lewin
4: with a debut goal brilliantly set up by Grealish and Calvert-Lewin comes to meet it. It's game set on March Denmark now with Stottmann Eriksen, a beautiful left foot curler. Rashford now on the edge of the penalty area with a fantastic effort and a brilliant goal from Marcus Rashford. Great save down to his right by Schmeichel who gets low and gets a massive big hand onto the ball. Wonderful ball swung into space. And it's Cole Cody that has got the goal. Erickson slips it through to Paulson, puts it in the box, and
1: Paulson scores. When you get to that kind of stage, you really, you really want to go on
3: and win it. So, uh, for the competition's point of view, it's it's a great challenge for us.
1: Okay, England
2: play Denmark on Wednesday night, and Gareth Southgate uh, obviously is going to have to change his team again. Let's hear what he said after the match with Belgium.
5: Well, we've gone into a game with the best team in the world without Sterling and Kane, so and in and, and, and a game where we had to take Henderson off after an hour. So to not have those three at critical moments of the game um, and to still put the performance on that we did is, is just credit to everything we're trying to do. You know, every, the squad we're trying to build and the competition for places that exists. And, you know, we also had a performance against Wales the other night that teed today up because if we don't win that game, then we've got a drama for three days, and we don't have a clear head going into today's game. So the whole squad, we're into a sort of tournament situation this week. We're, we're three games, we needed to rotate the squad. Um, impossible to keep 29 happy because it doesn't go into 23. But that's what we'll find in the tournament. And we've now got to go again against Denmark and prepare properly for that game. And, you know, today has taken a huge amount out of the players mentally and physically. So we, we, we've got to be ready for Wednesday to make sure we capitalise on the results.
2: Look, he's going to make changes. It's very difficult. I mean, you can't see um, Kieran Trippier playing again after playing two 90-minute back-to-back games. He's got to be given a rest. Otherwise, Diego Simeone will be on the phone. I mean, probably Gareth Southgate, because he's only got O-level Spanish, will not understand a word that he's saying. Uh, but it, it won't matter. The fact is, you can't ask Trippier to play again, even if it is out of position. So uh, I suppose they'll be hoping that Ben Chilwell's fit. If not, Bakayi Saka will get another go.
3: He's got a big squad there. He's got the opportunity to give everyone a, uh, a go, uh, see what they're made out of, and especially after coming off a good result against Belgium, um, have a look at players now. Have a look and say, right, you know, we're preparing ourselves for the summer. You know, I want to make these changes and have a good have a good look at these individuals that are brought into the squad.
2: Is that how you see it? Rather than actually go and win against Denmark, and all of a sudden you are in pole position in this group, and you can
1: win the nation's league, Crook. I'm with Andy on this. I'm not sure the Nations League and it's, um second holding it holds quite the prestige it did first time round I'm not sure Gareth Southgate's main aim is to win this competition it's all about building momentum and Mm. and building his squad for the European Championships I'd like to see Danny Ings um, given a chance as England's main striker only Jamie Vardy has scored more goals than Ings uh, in the Premier League since the start of last season I thought he did a very selfless job for the team in the first game in midweek played out wide scored a fantastic bicycle kick obviously Calvert-Lewin has had two games through the middle Harry K is not fully fit and I think Jose Mourinho would probably prefer that he didn't play in this game let's let Danny Ings play in his number nine role he's earned the shirt Gareth Southgate has said he'll pick players on form I think he deserves a go
3: Crookie spoke sense first time
1: (laughs) (laughs)
2: should we clip that up as a uh, as one of our uh, that should be your show reel there Crookie I'll take that I'll take that Mr Cole said that you spoke (laughs) sense for the first time the back three will be pretty pleased with themselves won't they um, you know they've kept uh, clean sheets galore now it's one goal that they've conceded in seven matches uh, so if they've managed to keep out the likes of uh, De Brunner Carrasco Lukaku for the most part of that game apart from the penalty obviously um, but they do have a coach in Kasper Hjulmand, who is known as the Danish Pep Guardiola uh, he fancies himself as a, as a little bit of a reinventor of Danish football uh, so they, they play quite progressive I think they too have, have sort of experimented with three at the back but they're wing, they actually play a back four with two fullbacks that get so high and wide that they can be left a little bit exposed actually so I mean, it'd, be, it'd be fascinating to see whether they take that same approach at Wembley Does he wear a roll neck, a Danish Guardiola? I think he might do It's a bit chilly on Wednesday night from what I hear You two could have a roll neck <laughs> off, couldn't you? Me, Pep and Kasper Hjolman in the uh, fashion stakes and, and Mikel Arteta, by the way, who I think has improved his sartorial elegance over the course of the last 12 months.
3: Yeah, that's what happens when you work with Pep.
2: Yeah, it is. Um, maybe we should give you some classes on that, Crook, because your
1: sartorial elegance is poor, isn't it? Yeah, I do. What a lack in fashion sense. I make up in other areas, I think. Wait. <laughs> you made him laugh. And he's not having <laughs> that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear.
1: We can't all be as stylish as you two. Let's yeah. be honest. Well,
2: exactly. <laughs> uh, well, the best thing was when we first did our show together, Andy, um, Perry Groves, and I. We all turned up in a white t-shirt. Right? Um, Andy's obviously kept that going. Uh, Andy turned up in uh, Andy turned up in a Hugo Boss t-shirt. I turned up with one from River Island, and Perry Groves turned up with one from Primark.
1: <laughs> I was going to
2: say George, <laughs> and we said that sort of. Sort of sort of, sort of illustrated the sort of pecking order of sartorial elegance amongst the three of us Uh, right okay listen uh, thank you very much for coming on the programme Andy Uh, we appreciate it it was a good look back at the England performances and look forward Uh, and Crook uh, we'll see you on uh, I suppose it'll be Thursday afternoon when we uh, get the next podcast out for a preview to the weekend when the proper football comes to hey, Just enjoy it. For God's sake, they've just beaten the world number one ranked side. Everyone's so miserable. Look, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Well done. Well done. Uh, Andy, well done. Crook, thank you very much. We'll be back on Thursday with Darren Lewis from The Mirror. This is the Talksport game day post-match pod.